Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two, episode six of the Big at the Back podcast. I am joined once again by Matthew Higgins. Matt, how are you? I am great. It's a Monday morning. The Premier League is back with a bang. It was an interesting weekend of football. I feel like the opening weekend always was more interesting than any other weekend because you start to get a view of teams and how they're going. So I've had a good weekend, although it was filled with playing cricket both days and it was very hot. Uh, how are you, Tom? I'm good. Uh, yeah, weekend's just very quiet, watching a lot of football because I have nothing better to do and I'm kind of obsessed. Um, other than that, though, relatively quiet. So not really got a whole lot on. Got a half marathon next weekend, so I figured it should be probably a rest and recovery weekend rather than anything overly dramatic. Oh, fancy actually running. I mean, I've got Brighton Marathon next year, so that that's what I'm building up for. I've got full training plan and everything because my back is so broken that I need double the time anyone else does. Um, so let's loads and loads to talk about today. Huge weekends of football. Game week one kicked off with a bang. Matt, what were your overall thoughts? It was a, mostly, I think, as expected in terms of FPL and the point scorers. A couple of surprises here and there. Obviously, the Liverpool result was a big shock. And, I mean, not so much Salah getting a goal and an assist, but the uh, actual conceded concession of two goals when a lot of people have doubled up on Liverpool defenders, uh, obviously. Neither of them should have counted, by the way, objectively. <laughs> if, if those goals were scored by Liverpool, everyone would be up in arms about it. But because it's a nah, I'm not having that for a single second. Um, but there we go. Um, other than that, I think the only other real maybe surprising result was Bournemouth winning 2-0 uh, against Villa. Um, a good result for them. Uh, in their first week back in the Premier League. You could say maybe Man U losing to surprise, but is it really a surprise anymore? <laughs> I mean, we got the same Man U we had last year. I think that's all that needs to be said. It's exactly the same team. Um, people saying, oh, they haven't spent loads of money. They, they've just spent £60 million on a centre-back. They've spent out on a left-back. They're probably getting Van der Beek for another £80 million. They've, they're still do you, mean, do, do you mean De Jong? Because Van der Beek De is already there. <laughs> all these Dutch players are all interchangeable and they're all going to be terrible for Man U. It's a what recurring <laughs> theme. Um, but yeah, Man U was a very interesting. Spurs blowing Southampton away. Um, obviously, Ellen Haaland, what a performance on his first game in the Premier League. So loads and loads and loads to dig into. Um, we're going to go back to the usual formula of going through the games one by one and talking about them from a football and FPL context. So let's start with the one that you and I watched together, which was Crystal Palace losing 2-0 to Arsenal. Arsenal playing away from home and getting the win and the clean sheets. What did you make of it? I think this went pretty much as most people expected. There was always the potential for Palace to get something from this game, but I think a lot of people were obviously banking on Arsenal assets uh, based on their pre-season form. And that is that was proven correct. So, I mean, maybe the surprise that Jesus didn't really get a look in on goal at all. Didn't have really a, a shot from memory. It definitely didn't have a shot on target because I backed that. Um, but other than that, it was uh, Zinchenko. Obviously, a lot of people have got in. 
um, who just had a free header from a corner, which he nodded back across for Martinelli to head home. So there's a lot of happy people there with the Zinchenko and Martinelli double up and also Saka getting an assist for the own goal. So I think, yeah, it went pretty much as expected. Zinchenko picking up the bonus points. A lot of people will be happy about that because a lot of people have got him in. Uh, obviously, I have. Come on. Um, but yeah, I think it was it was a good start to the season. Um, it was a good kickoff of Friday night. I do still feel a little bit... I don't know how I feel about Friday night kickoff to start the season. I feel like a Saturday should be your, your lead into the season. But that's a that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, that that's a, fixtures are a whole another podcast on their own, aren't they? Um, uh, similar to you, I actually... I don't know. I thought Jesus can probably consider himself unlucky to not going to look and he was let down in the final ball by teammates a couple of times. I thought Martinelli was by far the most electric of Arsenal's attackers. I think he was the one most on the ball and most able to do something. I thought Saka had a very quiet game. I know he got the assist, but in terms, he didn't really do very much with the ball when he had it in the opposition third, whereas Martinelli was always attacking and probably should have got a few more goals than he did. Um, from an FBL standpoint, Zinchenko is stealing on the headlines. I think the idea of Arteta is to have Ben White at right back and almost shift into that back three, giving Zinchenko license to play that Cancelo role. Really, really makes him an attractive asset in FPL moving forward. His price is probably going to rise this week. Um, but I think Zinchenko is a really, really good own. Uh, and also Martinelli is another one to own as well, I think. But I, I think Saka, I don't really like any of the 8 mil options at the moment. But I think if you're going to go for an Arsenal midfielder, Martinelli is the one to go for. What do you think? Uh, probably I'm inclined to agree. I, I'm with you. I think the 8 million options, I think Diaz is the most attractive of those that bracket. Um, but obviously it depends on where you sit with your Liverpool assets. So... I think it's probably a good idea to have one because then you can move around quite easily and quite comfortably depending on form and fixtures. But I don't know. I don't think Saka's the one for me. Um, and in response to you, all you think Zinchenko's will rise, he already has risen. He's gone out to 5.1. So uh, he rose last night and so did Erling Haaland, obviously. Yeah, no surprise there at all. It also blocks the Kane to Haaland move for a lot of people. Um but we'll come to that in a minute. Quick word on Crystal Palace, though. I don't think they played badly, but I think they were too cautious, especially being at home. In the second half, they started making things happen, but by then it was too late and Arsenal held firm. So I, the jury's out on Palace. I don't think from an FPL perspective you want to touch them because of their fixtures, uh, being quite brutally honest. Maybe in the second half of this first half of the season after the game week eight points or so. Yeah, I mean they've got Liverpool and City away in their next three, so you're not going to be going anywhere near them for now. I do think I do still think they're a good side, so yeah, potentially after that you'll see where the where the cards start to fall. But I think you can't really read too much into this first few fixtures for them. Yeah, agreed. Um, let's move on to the Saturday kickoffs then, and the early game was the Liverpool two-all draw with Fulham. Now, for this game, I was watching it and I was quite annoyed watching it. I wasn't happy at all. Fulham, to their credit, played really, really well, came out and harassed Liverpool, and our midfield just couldn't get to grips with it at all. Uh, in the, I've been saying all summer we need strengthening in the middle, and yeah, it was so evident from this game because we were really, really woeful. I was looking at this in the post game and I was thinking, you know what? They're really, really hot lunchtime in London. They've travelled on train down from the northwest. 
Jurgen Klopp came out afterwards. He did a four and a half minute interview about how his players' attitude wasn't there, how they did some did this wrong, did this wrong, did this wrong. And then what I liked was he made a comment afterwards saying, "Oh, and the pit because of our attitude, and it didn't help with the pitch being so dry, and but that meant that we weren't able to do this, and we didn't perform correctly, and we didn't put the effort in." And the media picked up the pitch dry bit and made a huge deal out of it as if he was moaning. It's, taken, it's such a media spin of Klopp's moaning all the time. And it was like, no, I, I'm the first to criticise when he moans, but honestly, ridiculous that they've taken that bit out of context. I thought it was really annoying. I love it. Oh, I think it was hilarious. My favourite thing that came out of it, though, was the Fulham Twitter admin on Sunday morning just put in a picture of uh, the, the Craven Cottage pitch with the sprinklers on. And it was like Craven Cl- Cra- the Craven Cottage turf looking beautiful yesterday or something like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, in terms of the game, honestly, it's so frustrating. The fir- in the first goal, there was a clear foul on Henderson that, uh, in that phase of play. So it should never have counted. But the ref was being lenient to both sides of that one. I'm annoyed at it shouldn't have been a goal, but you can let it go. And it was a very good header on the back post from Mitrovic. Um, the penalty, never a penalty in a hundred thousand years. If it hadn't have been given, VAR wouldn't have given it. It's one of those where because it wasn't clear, a clear and obvious wrong, despite zero contacts being made, zero contacts being made, by the way, not just minimal contacts. Mitrovic dives with zero contacts and the ref gave it as a penalty. Utterly ridiculous decision. Um, that being said, though, Liverpool didn't deserve anything more than draw out of the game. We were the second best team on the pitch, and I think Fulham did deserve something out of it. What were your thoughts on the game as a whole? I know you're at cricket. Did you get to watch any of it? I didn't. So, my the extent of my football watching this weekend has been pretty much entirely highlights. I mm. saw some of the West Ham game yesterday because of the way it fell. Uh, but even then, I didn't see the sort of last half an hour of it. So from what I've seen, yeah, I, I probably agree with you about the foul in the build-up to the first Fulham goal. Uh, I do I do sort of, I would like to see the clarification on why that wasn't given because they're saying now that the VAR uh, conversations are going to be published. So that should be interesting to mm-hmm. see that. Um, but yeah, really t- a really powerful header from Mitch Fitcher, the back post, got up early above his man. Mm-hmm. Um, I was will say I was feeling really smug about not having Salah in my team. I was getting updates from the sideline at cricket, getting told, oh, it's 1-0. And then eventually it fed back that it was that Salah had got a goal and an assist. When he, Even when he just had the assist for the first goal, I was like, I'll take that. If he only gets an assist, I will take that. And I think even his goal, it was like, it was a little bit of luck in there, wasn't it? He just sort of bounced off Darwin and fell at his feet for a tap-in. So mm. I don't know, I think... Without seeing the whole game and the whole context of the whole game, obviously I'll take your word for it that you were second best. Yeah, we um, I don't think there's too much to worry about uh, from a Liverpool perspective. Still, like it's one game; it's the first game of the season. It can take a little bit of time to get up and running, so I'm sure they will come good. Um, I saw Luis, Luis Diaz hit the post uh, with a really good shot, um, and you had a goal disallowed in the first half as well. I think didn't you for offside? He did, yeah. It was a beautiful finish. With Luis Diaz in particular, though, when Firmino was playing, he was dropping deep, and then it allowed Luis Diaz to get forward. When Darwin Nunez came on, he was magnificent, by the way. He was so good, completely changed the game. But it meant that Diaz was often the one coming deep and helping set the play up, rather and Salah and 
Darwin Nunez bombing forward. So I think Darwin's got to be starting moving forward. He's still in the betting in phase, but surely he starts in the next game, which means I think Luis Diaz probably becomes a worse asset just based on the facts that Darwin's playing as is. I wouldn't exactly hate dropping uh, Diaz and Jesus for uh, another striker and Darwin, for example, if I was in your position. Um, if you've gone without Salah, then this is Liverpool playing terribly in a really real banana skin where they've not shown up and Salah's still got 12 FPL points. I imagine being dumb enough to go into the season not having him. Hey, all I'm saying is I haven't got Salah and you only got three more points than me this week. True, but then you also haven't got Salah for the next game or the one after that or the one after that. So they're going to add up and they're going to stack up. And just picture it, if you had had Salah in, you'd be ahead of me. Not necessarily. It depends whether I'd have dropped. Well, actually, no, because all my midfielders were shit. But uh, then the, obviously <laughs> the, the different situation. I mean, if I'd have started Wilson, I'd have been ahead of you. That's true. I'm not sure why you didn't start Wilson against a newly promoted Nottingham Forest team. That, that was stupid. Um, yeah, I just didn't... I, I, the other options there, like Grealish... So uh, the other options I had were dropping one of the Liverpool defenders, not going to do that. My other three defenders all got clean sheets and more, if um, if you including Zinchenko and Chilwell, we both got assists. Um, so then across the midfield, it was Luis Diaz, not going to drop him. Jack Grealish, not going to drop him against West Ham because we're rubbish. Uh, and Jaden Sancho, he would have been. It was the only, Sancho was the only real option, but I thought you know Man United at home, new manager, new bounce, all that sort of stuff. And I wasn't going to drop Jesus either because it's pre-season form. But there we go, that's enough. Yeah, I, it's a really tough one, isn't it? Um, let's move on to the next. actually something to be said for Mitrovic because I think he got two goals that he shouldn't have got, but I think he looks very lively. I thought Andreas Pereira looked really good in this game as well. Uh, if you've got Pereira, certainly hold. If Mitrovic is definitely an option in FPL moving forward as well for everyone. He's also on penalties as well. So I think that's a really, really good 6.5 option. Yeah, definitely. I think if you've got that sort of range, like that sort of budget striker, he is the probably the obvious choice now. Yeah, I'd certainly say so. Um, next game is Bournemouth beating Aston Villa 2-0. A game that we didn't see coming. Uh, I thought Bournemouth were going to lose every game 1-0 this year, but they've come up with a win in their first game. So they were looking really, really good. Worth noting that Kelly actually got all of the bonus points and was actually the second highest bonus points for the game week, if I'm reading this correctly. Um, interesting game. Villa looks shambolic, especially defending set pieces. And going forward, they didn't really look like they had a lot. So what did you think from the highlights of this game? Yeah, like you say, this is probably the most surprising result of the week. Uh, well, the, the Liverpool result excluded. I think it was your words on Friday night when we were going through our score predictions for this week was, oh, Bournemouth won't score. Um, so good to see you proven wrong. Uh, Coutinho blanking again. Obviously, a lot of people have been looking towards him. Um as sort of like that to pick up that form he had when he first signed in January last year. Interesting, obviously, as well that Gerard has given the captaincy to McGinn and dropped Tyrone Mings. So does that mean 
what does that bold well for like the club as a whole? Then are there new signings taking a little bit more time to bed in than perhaps we thought? Uh, I, d- I don't think I can read anything too much into this game. I'm not going to be rushing to get any of these assets in from either side. Uh, either like Bournemouth, yeah, it's a great result for them coming back into the league. Uh, clean sheet, three points. What more could you ask for? But uh, especially when you look at their fixtures, obviously City away next and then Liverpool away in game week four. I mean, you're not going anywhere near them, are you? And they've got Arsenal in between that as well. Even if you yeah. look at Aston Villa, from game week five, they've got Arsenal away, City at home, Leicester away. So their fixtures don't exactly get nice either. Um, so I think Eric Bailey, uh, Eric Bailey, I keep doing that. Um, Leon Bailey. <laughs> Leon Bailey starting and playing the whole 90 minutes was encouraging, so I'd hope he can get something in the next two games. He's going nowhere for me, but it's almost a stay of execution for him at the moment. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, even though he's obviously the budget midfielder, he mm. and if he's starting, you want them to be getting returns. So there's, there's always going to be another option that comes up if they don't start performing. Yeah, um, for me, he's he's getting a bit of a stay at the moment, but we'll wait and see. Next going to chat about is Leeds beating Wolves 2-1. And I was saying it before the game that Wolves really are a club that's going through big peril at the moment. There's talk now of Connor Cody going to Everton as well. Um, losing 2-1 to, Wolves, to Leeds, who were shocking last year, um, is... I think it's a real, almost a danger ground for them. And if Wolves don't really, really start getting something out of these first, well, these next three or four games, they could be in real trouble of relegation this season because the fixtures turn quite sharply in game week seven or eight. Um, what were your thoughts on the game overall? It's another one that I'm not reading too, well, like not reading too much into because I think both sides are in sort of a transitional phase at the moment. I think Brendan Aronson looked quite good for Leeds. Uh, he oh, impressed good. me. Yeah, um, so obviously, didn't quite get the, the second goal. It went down as an Aitnori own goal in the end, and rightly so. The one thing I will say is I think Melier had quite a good game in goal for Leeds. He did make quite a few saves. Um, I think one tipped over the bar from a header. Uh, the thing that surprised me most is Daniel Podence picking up the three bonus points in this one. Did not see that one coming. Yeah, everyone was talking about Pedro Neto, but Podence has actually taken up that false nine role for Wolves. So he probably was the 5.5 million midfielder to go for. Um, three bonus points and a goal from him. I still wouldn't be looking at him from an FPL perspective, though. I don't think you touch anyone from either of these teams. Wolves are all, well, rubbish. <laughs> and Leeds, I think, are just too overpriced. You've got Jack Harrison at what six, six point five, Rodrigo at six point five. If they were they're all if they were 0.5 million cheaper, you'd consider them, but they're not quite in that consideration bracket, I think. Yeah, I completely agree. I think especially, I mean, you could you could potentially argue that Wolves' next fixture is a nice one, which is Fulham at home, but looking at the way mm. Fulham played on Saturday, that's definitely not the case. And like you say with Leeds, like I am going to be keeping an eye on Leeds because I do think now that Jesse Marsh has had a full transfer window to, to sign the players that he wants to sign, it will be interesting to see how they all settle in. Um, they've got Chelsea, not this week and coming the weekend after, but after that, they've got quite a nice run of four or five fixtures. So potentially, depending on how they get in the next couple of weeks, I could look to shift a couple. They are probably a little bit overpriced, but we'll, I will be keeping an eye on them. 
Well, the next game is away versus Southampton, but going away is never easy, and that's a long trip. Then, as you say, it's Chelsea. After that, you've got Brighton, Everton, Brentford, Nottingham Forest, then Manchester United, all objectively easy games. So, I... I just do love it every time it's Man United. That's an easy one. Yeah. I mean, Gary Neville in his podcast was saying that they're the easiest team to play against still uh, in the Premier League. And we'll come on to them very shortly. Really uninspiring game to talk about next. And I, I did watch the highlights of it. And the Newcastle looked very good. It looked like quite a fun game to watch. Just so boring and uninspiring from an FPL point of view, though. Newcastle 2, Nottingham Forest nil, most predictable results in the world. Wilson getting a goal. Shah getting an absolute thunderbolt. I don't know if you've seen his goal. Um, Joe Linton even getting an assist. But Shah getting, being on for 43 bonus points, uh, really high in the BPS of 43 bonus points. Three bonus points, 43. No, 43 bonus points. <laughs> he is well ahead of everyone else at the moment. Triple captain material. Um, but yeah, Shah being maybe the Newcastle defender we'd all been sleeping on. I guess there was a concern whether he started or not. But now we know he's starting. Is he going to be a really good budget option moving forward? He could be. I think it depends if, if you've got any other Newcastle defenders. I don't think you want to be doubling up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of that comes down to obviously the goal. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't score that goal, he's probably not going to be anywhere near as high on the on the BPS score. So... I would still be looking at the fullbacks because if you look at the two and one bonus points, that was Target and Trippier. So I think they're going to be providing you more options going forward. I think it was just a bit of a, I mean, it was a, an absolute thunder bastard from Shah. Uh, it was a great hit. So I just don't think you're going to be banking on him doing something like that every week. They like say Wilson getting a goal. A lot of people have been on Wilson in preseason. So paying back uh, the faith, I think he scored it four goal four in the last five opening Premier League weekends. And Joe Linton, actually, I thought, looked pretty lively as well. I think Forrest looks poor. Uh, if you look at Henderson, he made seven saves, so it just shows that they were very open at the back. Uh, and then even when Joe Linton at one point picked the ball up sort of near the halfway line, had a run through, broke inside and scuffed his shot wide, I think Forrest looked like they could struggle. Um, Jesse Lingard did absolutely nothing, and he's sort of there. Their big hope. Oh, and he came on towards the end of the second half. I'm surprised he didn't start. Um, they had Surridge and Johnson starting up front. So I think they'll need to find something fairly quickly. Um, and just looking at their fixtures, they play West Ham this weekend. So that's probably where they'll get it. <laughs> I was actually having a chat to my dad about this before the season kicked off. My dad's a lifelong Fulham fan, so followed the championship a lot more closely than I did last year. But he was saying that Forrest, the way they got promoted was essentially by riding a bit of a wave and their manager is very, very good. But it was very clear that they were overachieving by getting into the Premier League. And now it feels like reality is going to bite them a bit. It's a shame, but I I think they looked like a mid-table championship side, which they are, essentially. Uh, yeah, I think it, the thing is as well, they've had such a massive turnover in the summer because of the players. They had about six or seven players on loan last season. So mm. that is going to be very hard to overcome going into a Premier League season for the first time in 20-odd years. Absolutely. Next game to chat about is Spurs beating Southampton 4-1. Now, for all the talk of Kane and Son, 
and everyone seemed to forget about Kulisewski, who was utterly magnificent. Everything good Spurs did came from Kulisewski. Well-deserved and well-taken goal at the end. They did an analysis of him on match of the day as well. But having watched the game, he was absolute quality throughout. Really, really good. Um, I can't see him being dropped for Richarlison, to be honest. I think Richarlison's a bench player because uh, Kulisewski is just so good. Of the 8 million players, he's the one that really did well. Um, I feel like with Harry Kane, I don't think he's necessarily a great option in FPL because while he had some chances, he was actually reverting and he was playing a lot more like a quarterback than he was a striker. And it's worth noting in Haaland versus Kane, everything City did against West Ham was designed to create chances for Haaland. Everything went through Haaland and everything played to Haaland's strengths. With Spurs, it wasn't like that. Chances were going to the fullbacks, to Son, to, to an extent Kulisewski, but Kane wasn't the one they were creating for. He was doing the creating, but wasn't on the end of the creativity. So I think that makes, despite him being on penalties and despite him still being a wonderful player, from an FPL standpoint, I think you need to have swapped from Kane to Haaland yesterday, realistically. Yeah, and if you haven't done it now, it's too late unless you've already got money in the bank. So you say mm. Haaland rose and Kane dropped. So a lot of people have made that change straight away. Mm. So if you've left it till till today, uh, till Monday to do that, then it then it is too late. I agree with you. I also saw um, a pitch map of their average positions uh, in the game and Kane was sort of basically back towards the halfway line in his average position. Like you say, dropping in to spread the balls and ping them over the back, which he does very well. Um, but Haaland was much further up the pitch. He was that target man. He was he was the main man. He was getting the ball down. He was bringing other people into play. And he was spinning off to get in again, which you don't get as much from Kane at the moment. So, yeah, I'm very glad I went with Haaland over Kane. But like you say, Kulisevsky was the one that got under the radar. I think a lot of people didn't want to have him in at the start because they're worried he's only going to play in the first game and then Richarlison's going to come in because of his suspension. But... It's going to be a tough one for Conte now. What's he going to do? Uh, does he stick with Kulisevsky because he's got a great game? Or does he play the play the man that they paid a lot of money to bring in? It's, it's, it's a really tricky dilemma. You can't drop Kulisevsky after a performance like that. I think he was absolutely magnificent for them. Um, I think the other thing to talk about with Spurs as well is obviously the fullbacks. Yeah. A lot of people went Perisic. Um, a lot of people went Doherty. And, I mean, Emerson Royale picking up two assists. Yeah, um, and Sessegnon getting a goal as well. Uh, so I think with Spurs fullbacks, you know they're going to get points. You just don't know who's going to play. Because let's yeah. be honest, Sessegnon and Royale are the third and fourth best fullbacks at Spurs when you've got Perisic and Doherty there. So I think if you can get them at the right time, great. It's not a game I want to play, though. I don't want to play Conte fullback rotation. Um, so... From an FPL standpoint, I think Kulisevsky is the one to look at. Uh, would be encouraged as well if you own Hume and Son, because he was, he got real, I want to call it Mo Salah fever, just self, selfish in a good way. Like, you, the reason we love Salah so much for, as FPL players is because he's so selfish, and if he sees the goal, he just wants to shoot. And that's what Son's got at the moment. So, Son's conversion rate of shots isn't going to be nearly as high because he's just shooting absolutely uh, 
at will at the moment. So I, I think if you're a son owner, you can keep the faith at least in the next three or four games. Yeah, he did look very, very selfish. I think his ownership is quite a lot lower this season because of his price. But if you have got him, I think there is obviously reason to be slightly optimistic. He did pick up an assist, which is obviously something at least. Uh, he had a couple of uh, shots saved. Uh, I think he's one one decent chance that he put um, over as well. But I think overall, I'd be encouraged if you're a son owner still. Yeah, certainly. Um, Southampton, uninvestable. I mean, Ward Prowse took his goal very nicely, but yeah, it's a great goal, yeah. but uninvestable. I think, yeah, they've. I think it's now twelve in a row. They were saying a match of the day that Southampton haven't won a game, so they're they're in a real bit of trouble. Next game, and it was a bit of a slog fest. It was Everton losing one nil to Chelsea, and Chelsea, despite everything got the job done. Everton set up how you'd expect Everton to set up, just sitting back, sitting back, sitting back. And Chelsea did get the penalty to win the game. But honestly, just a very dull and uneventful game of football, I found this to be. Yeah, I think it was... I didn't go with the Chelsea double-up defensively in the end of Chilwell and James. I went with just Chilwell... I think this game in particular is going to be a bit of a one-off because Everton are Everton and they're abject and their front three is the most uninspiring front three in the Premier League, I think, at the moment. Mm. Um, and we've spoken about that in our pre, uh, preview pod. But I think, obviously, Chelsea will have a much tougher task next week when they face Spurs. And it was just a just a penalty and that's all it was. And it was it was, was a blatant penalty. Chill will be absolutely manhandled in the box. It was interesting to see Kukurea get some game time where, um, after his signing last week. Will, will How will that affect the balance of their side going forward? Is he going to be playing much? Because they paid a lot of money for a fullback. Mm. It smacks of a desperation signing because they do not need him. Um, the amount of fullbacks they've got at that club is ridiculous. So, I mean, Jorginho again, converting the penalty it just seems to every season just seems to be picking up points through his penalties and they seem to win a lot of them. But again, it's like no one's going to be having him in their team, are they? No. And even with Cucurella signing, I actually think if you've got Chilwell, switch over to James because Chilwell's minutes are going to be limited. You haven't spent £55 on a left-back for him to be playing second fiddle. So I mean, look how much they spent on Chilwell as well. Yeah, but that was a few years ago and it's always got to be the shiny new toy that gets the game time. So, I, yeah, I think Chelsea off the field, there's loads of problems. Let's be honest, they're desperately scrambling around for anyone and everyone. But on the field, I think Reese James is still a decent enough option. I've also got Mason Mount in my team who did nothing in this game. Um, I probably will keep him just for the next game against Tottenham. Uh, but that's only on the basis that I'd rather have two subs next week and I don't really know what to do. If there was someone obvious to switch him to, I would do it. But Kulisewski would be the obvious one, but he's playing Chelsea in the next game. So I think I'm better off just holding on mounds at the moment and holding the free transfer for next week. Yeah, I think in general, unless there's a massively obvious transfer that you need to make. So like a lot of people did came to Haaland. I think in general, it's always good to hold on to that transfer for, for game week, going into game week two and save them for a double up for game week three, because that's when you've got a lot more information to go on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And often you'll find what the narrative from game week one is completely reversed in game week two. Um, it can be so to and fro that it's always worth holding out if you can. So you're telling me that Haaland's going to blank next week? Is that exactly. you heard it here first? Kane, uh, Kane with a hat trick in the North London derby. Um, how bold would it be? North London derby. Chelsea aren't North London. <laughs> I mean, not Arsenal really. Um, in that case, I could wait till the end of the week, and when Haaland gets to eleven point seven, Kane gets to eleven point three. Go Haaland to Kane. <laughs> I mean, that would be really against the grain. Um, let's talk then about the Sunday games. And we'll start with Leicester to Brentford to Leicester, we've said it before, an absolute state, starting with Vardy and Madison up top. So both of them returning with assists. Uh, Dewsbury Hall with Man of the Match and getting a goal and three bonus points. I think Leicester just feel like they can be got at. They felt like that all of last season. But the, we were talking about it on Friday. Their squad hasn't really changed in about three or four years. It's still the same group of players. There's no real progression. There's no real momentum behind them. And I think they can really be got at. Brentford, I think, aren't very good. De Silva coming on with the goal, uh, 4.5 million midfielder for anyone that's interested. And Ivan Tony getting his first of the season as well is nice. Um, but yeah... I didn't watch any of this game because so I just found it so uninspiring. Yeah, I think, I mean, you had the Man U Brighton game on at the same time. Mm. So I think overall, you're, it was always going to be that was the one to watch. Uh, Jewsbury Hall with a great finish, a uh, very good strike from about 25 yards up with his left foot. Other than that, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a particularly great game. Um, it wasn't an inspiring game, like you say. Castagna with a good header, a good ball in from Madison. You always know you're going to get that from James Madison from set pieces. Mm. The defending from Leicester for the Ivan Tony goal was absolutely abysmal. He just ghosted in six yards out. Uh, and they're defending for the De Silva goal as well. They just stood off him, stood off him, stood off him, and he cut inside and whipped it into the far corner of his left foot. You cannot give players that much time in the Premier League. No. Um, I think Leicester really need to make a sign-in or two if they're going to look to progress, because like we said, they haven't made a single sign-in yet. They've lost Kasper Schmeichel now and potentially could lose Madison, could lose Tielemans, someone like that, if a big offer comes in before the end of the transfer window. And if one of those go, they are in real, real trouble. Yeah, agreed. Without spending too much time on Leicester Brentford, then let's talk about what we're here to talk about, which is Brighton beating Manchester United 2-1. Um, so I on my walk this morning, I listened to the Gary Neville podcast and he was saying that Manchester United are the easiest team to play against in the Premier League. He was saying it in the back end of last season. He said it again. Brighton were the better team, were better managed, better coached. Um, Manchester United, absolute state of a club. Ronaldo's been slagging them off all summer. Then they bring him on in a desperation move to try and scout, salvage something against Brighton at home. And it's, yeah, they're, they're, in a, they're still an absolute travesty of a football team. Um, Roy Keane was talking after the game and having an argument with Gary Neville. Neville was arguing that all the players were still giving 100%. I still don't think that's true. What, what's your take on Man U at the moment? It's so hard to tell, isn't it? I think something obviously still isn't clicking. It is very early days. Ten Hag is still in the infancy of his manager, like his reign at the helm of the club. 
So I think they need to sort out the Ronaldo situation. As long as they've got that cloud hanging over their head, they're not going to be able to perform properly on the pitch. So once that's sorted, I think I think it just makes sense to get rid of him at this point because oh. there's just no way that he is going to be at the top of his game knowing that he wants to leave. So get rid of him. Try and get someone else in. The, yesterday, they made a bid for Marko Arnautovic. I mean, that shows you where this club is at the moment. Don't get me wrong. I love Marko Arnautovic when he was at West Ham. I think he's an absolute bastard of a player. And I mean that in the most loving way. Um, and I think he, he could do a job. like, But he's not he's not a Man United player, is he? He, he It reminds me of when they signed Odion Igalo. It's like, it's just out of nowhere. But he's not gonna, he's not someone that's going to start. He's going to someone... And he, he's a bit flexible. He can play on the wing. He can play out front. But defensively, they look to shambles. Pascal Gross with two goals. He scored more goals against Man United than any other club in the Premier League, which just goes to show that they are his bunny. Um, I do think United in the second half looked better. They made some chances. Um Rashford had a, a golden opportunity when Ronaldo put him in and Sanchez made a great save. It was was flagged for offside, but VAR would have overturned that because Ronaldo was onside when the ball was played. So they did make chances, um, which I guess is the only slightly encouraging thing for them, but they need to be taking them. Um, but I think the sooner they get this Ronaldo situation sorted, the better. Totally agree. I think get Ronaldo out of there, quite frankly. he's And if he's there for another half a year, year he's not going to be a positive influence on that team. I think it's better for everyone that he goes. Um, yeah, the the Arnautovic stuff is hilarious. And you just, for all of this talk of a new era with Ten Hag, it's exactly the same pattern. You look back, you think Falcao, Ibrahimovic, Agalo, Cavani. These are all players that have been brought in at the end of their tenure. Admittedly, Ibrahimovic did really well. Yeah, Even actually Ronaldo, who has done well, but... The, it's again, it's thinking of desperation moves. They are now going to go back to Barcelona and offer a hundred million for De Jong just out of desperation. If you're a club and um, Man United calls inquiring about your player and make an offer, every single club in the world is now going to go, you're desperate, double it. Quite frankly. So they put themselves in a really, really vulnerable position in the transfer market. And I think as a club, they are shot. I think there is something to be said, though, for Brighton, because Gross obviously played very well. But I thought Welbeck has an excellent game for them as well. Yeah, he looked fantastic, to be fair. The only thing that was missing for him was a goal. Uh, mm-hmm. He had a couple of chances that he was a header he put wide and things like that. But overall, I think he had a very good game. Uh, if he can just get that end product as well, um, he could be a, a very interesting prospect uh, he did get the assist um, for one of the goals, so he's got that on his on his plate for the season. Uh, he's up and running there, but I don't know. I, I don't know how much of it was Brighton playing really well and Welbeck playing really well, and how much of it is it Manu being Manu. Uh, Brighton's fixtures aren't bad as well. They haven't got a single red fixture if you look at the FDR up until game week eight. But I mean, they've got some trickier ones in there. Newcastle is going to be a harder one. I would say West Ham's going to be a harder one, but their record against West Ham is fantastic. So probably lump up, lump in there. They've got Leeds, Fulham, Leicester, Bournemouth, Palace. That is a good run of fixtures. So yeah. if they get, if they keep this form going and carry that on to the next few game weeks, then yeah, you could definitely be looking at some Brighton assets. Yeah, I totally agree. I think they looked very, very good. And that team, despite losing Basuma and Cucurella, looked like they hadn't missed a beat. Um, so really excited to see how they do. 
the last game for us to speak about is West Ham losing 2-0 to Man City. And it was the Erling Haaland show. And I've seen people saying, oh, if West Ham defended better, I think you defended really well. I just think Haaland was too good. And it, watching him play, it almost felt unfair. It, it, watching it, it was like he was so much bigger, stronger and faster than any of your defenders or anyone else on the pitch. It looked like it was a complete mismatch and he looks like an absolute monster. It was so good. And everything City did went through him, rightly so, I think. Yeah, he's a beast. He's an absolute beast. And people were a little bit hesitant on him after the Community Shield last weekend when he missed that big chance. But he just showed here exactly the kind of player he is as well. And he's still only 21, which is terrifying. He won the penalty, um, which was an absolute stonewall penalty. Ariola bringing him down. That was the other sort of thing that I'd spoken about with West Ham before. Who was going to start and go? It was Fabianski, but he came off injured. So we'll see what happens there. Um, But yeah, Ariola bringing him down. The penalty was fantastically taken, just right in the bottom corner. And then the second goal, him just absolutely burning for pace um, through and just took it nicely as well. I mean, what I will say is West Ham only had one centre-back on the pitch. Um, we had a back four with three full-backs in it. So that, that's the only re- like thing we're struggling with. But even so, if we had another centre-back on there, it wasn't going to make any difference. I think we played all right, but just Man City and Man City. We, we've we uh, ended our streak. We scored in every home game last season. Uh, and the first home game of this season, we drew a blank. But it's not a surprise. City are a good side. Uh, I think, I still think they didn't, get anywhere near full gear in this game either. I think they've got so much more to come. Uh, I think De Bruyne, like it was about three or four times I saw De Bruyne misplace a pass. And I think, what's going on? Like this guy is actually human. But overall, they were by far and away the better side, as you'd expect. And Haaland could easily, easily get to about 40 goals this season if if they could create chances for him. Yeah, I think that there were a lot of times De Bruyne in particular didn't see Haaland's run or didn't pick him out in time. Once they get that connection and properly click, I think he's going to be scoring hat-tricks for fun, isn't he? He's scary. So, um, so let's talk about our FPL teams and how we did things. We both had good weeks. Um, I've ended on 73 points. Uh, so Pope and goal with the clean sheets. Cancelo and Walker, both City defenders, getting me points. Salah captain getting 12 double to 24, Martinelli with eight and Haaland with 13. I was quite fortunate. So I switched on Thursday evening, I think it was, from Kane to Haaland on the basis that I didn't want to book in the transfer for game week two. I knew I'd want Haaland versus Bournemouth, but I didn't want to book in that transfer. So I thought, you know what? Kane's probably going to outperform Haaland game week one, but I'm just going to suck it up and take it. Now, that was wrong, but luckily because... I didn't want to, luckily I'd gone for Haaland anyway. It was 50-50. It could have gone either way. It swung my way this time. It's going to swing back my way at some point later in the season. Um, So I'm probably quite fortunate there. Overall, not bad at all. So in our big at the back podcast league, I'm currently seventh. How have you done? I am just below you in eighth in our league. Three points behind you on 70 points. Um, I sort of spoke about a little bit about my team earlier. So Pope in goal with the clean sheet. Uh, Chilwell, Zinchenko and Walker all with clean sheets plus assists for Chilwell and Zinchenko and Zinchenko picks up the three bonus points. Trent and Robertson letting me down at the back. 
Midfield three did fuck all. Luis Diaz, Grealish and Sancho with two, three and two. And then Jesus and Haaland up front with Haaland as captain. So he got me 26 points. Uh, Wilson on the bench with six was the slightly the slight frustration. So if I'd have put him in, I could have could have gone above you. Um, as a team without Salah, I don't think that's too bad. We'll see, obviously, how that goes in game week two. Um, it's a little bit riskier, probably. So we'll see how that goes. Um, we've got Jimmy Veria at the top of the Big yeah. at the Back podcast league. Uh, a strong opening showing with him for with eight two points. Um, so and I think in second place is my best man Luke Brown. So a good start for them too. But yeah, Jimmy Veria in there with two Chelsea defenders, uh, Salah captain Kulusevski, Martinelli, uh, and Cancelo in there as well. Um, Luke and- also has um, two Chelsea defenders, them um, Salah captain and Cancelo and Tarlan. So that's what's made it up for Luke. Uh, to start the season. Seems to be a theme here. Big at the back from the beginning. Um, in our draft league as well, I beat my head-to-head opponent, opponent, a friend of ours, Mark Shaler, by one point, and that one point was the Cancelo yellow card uh, for making glasses at the referee, which I found very, very entertaining. Um, but yeah, all to play for. It is only game week one. Are you looking at any transfers for game week two? Uh, no, not at all. I'm not bothering. My team is fairly well set up for game week two, so I think it would be a complete waste. Um, what I will just say before I throw this back to you is our joint team um, had a pretty poor week with 52 points, but we did leave points on the bench. Martinelli on the bench with eight and Mitrovic on the bench with 13. So that was a big disappointment. Um, we will have to set our team for next weekend at some point um, uh, and we'll figure out how we're going to go with that. But yeah, um, you, I think we were of the same opinion that you're not making any transfers for this week. No, I'm not. But I think in the joint team, we need to drop Mares. I, <laughs> I, I think it's very clear that Foden is going to be starting on that right, Grealish on that left. So I think Mares needs to go for another 8 million, be that Kulusevski, be that Mount, we we just need to uh, free up that money, essentially. And we need Martinelli to be starting every game, especially over Luca Dino. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! <laughs> um, but that that's the lot from us. Obviously, loads more to come next weekend. Uh, we're going to be back after the game, so probably on Tuesday, because I think the Liverpool game is Monday night. But Great. you can find us on Twitter at Big at the Back. Yep, get involved with the conversation over there. You can also find me on Twitter at Higgins92 and Tom is at TomMadden92. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe, leave a comment and hit that notification bell so you get a notification whenever a new video goes live. And you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Uh, so yeah, come and get involved with the conversation. Let us know how you got on this week. And if you're thinking of making any transfers for coming up for game week two, let us know in the comments. Until next time, we'll see you all next week, guys. <laughs>